God, that's our, our song. It's our prayer. That you'd make us more aware of your presence. That we'd be able to see and discern what your good and pleasing will is and follow it, persist in it, even when our own voices are telling us to go a different direction, even when the voices of other people are telling us to go a different direction, God. We want your spirit to be loudest in our lives. We want to know what you want, Lord. We want to follow you in it. All of us who have met you, that's, that's the mission of our lives now, to surrender to you and your will. Uh, for all of us in here who are kind of kicking the tires and trying to figure out if you're worth following, God, I, I pray that these not yet Christians would come to you today and they'd engage with us in this desire to, to serve you and to follow you and to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's the way you taught us to pray. That's, that's my prayer this morning. We're, we're going to take this offering, God, and we're going to, uh, use these gifts that you've uh, already uh, given to us, uh, and now we're returning them to you. We're going to use them to glorify you as a church, so thank you for that. We're going to take this time, Lord, in your word to uh, hear from you and to let your spirit lead us, and so that's what I pray happens. Encourage us today, embolden us today, and lead us on this path that you have for us all. We love you, Lord. Your spirit's welcome here. Thanks for um, being here being in us and, and leading us. Help us to follow. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, say hi to someone before you sit down. Welcome to Bay Life Church. It's great to have you here. All right. How we doing? All right. That was more than last week. It's great to have you here. If you're visiting, my name is Mark. So glad you're with us. If you have a Bible, you can open it with me. We're in the book of Acts this summer on a series, or in a series that we're calling On the Road. We're just following Paul around uh, the Mediterranean as he and his friends plant churches amongst the Gentiles. And uh, uh, it's just an exciting uh, uh, voyage to kind of take in and, and then to, to learn the principles that Paul is teaching and learning himself. It's just a blessing to us in our lives with Christ. So another section of that in Acts chapter 21. Today we're going to talk about God's will. Let's read from that chapter Together, I'll read from up here. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along the screens. Uh, here it goes. So last week, just as kind of a precursor to this, Paul had called a bunch of his friends, uh, actually the elders of a church in a place called Ephesus, to meet him in a, in a city called Miletus. And uh, he, uh, while there, said goodbye to them. He told them, I'm not coming back. Uh, this is it. And he gave them uh, a charge, uh, 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 some, some walking uh, words, things that they needed to be doing in life. And and he said his goodbyes, and, and now we find him uh, here on this journey towards Jerusalem, uh, where he's been called by God to go. Luke's very detail-oriented. Luke's the writer of the book of Acts, and so you're going to see a lot of like trip details here. It's kind of like following through uh, you know, a, a map quest. Remember those from back in the day? You'd print out a map quest before we had all the GPS on our phones. Uh, he's basically just you know, printing out his map quest here. And, uh, when we, it says, when we had parted from them, there in Miletus and set sail, we came to... Uh, by a straight course to an island called Kos, and then the next day to an island called Rhodes, and from there to a, a, a mainland port called Patera. The ships in those days were kind of like a bus route. You just pop in and pop out and drop people off. Uh, and having found a ship crossing uh, there in Patera to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. Uh, when we had come in sight of Cyprus, another island in the Mediterranean, uh, we, we uh, left it on the left as we sailed to Syria and landed at a place called Tyre. For there, the ship was to unload its cargo. It wasn't uncommon for people to kind of hitch a ride on like, uh, you know, a cargo plane, or, uh, you know, in our day. Uh, and, and that's what Paul and his friends were doing. And so this cargo had to be uh, let out at, at Tyre, and, uh, and, and that's where they had to stop for the time that the ship was there. Uh, uh, they, they went into Tyre, and this is what Paul almost always did when he stopped at a port. Uh, he'd always go looking for Christians. Uh, this is up in the, in the northern parts of uh, Asia, or northern parts, you know, north of Syria. I can't remember where that is today, but uh, uh, he's, uh, Tyre is this, this port up there. And so um, the, the gospel had been spreading now for some 20, 30 years around the Mediterranean. Many people, we, we know from the story of Acts in, in Ephesus, everybody heard, in Asia had heard about the gospel because of Paul's work uh, in Ephesus. And so it was probably fun for Paul to go into these ports and be like, hey, where's the Christians? Like either the people I got a chance to share the gospel with personally or the people that I shared the gospel with uh, went out and shared the gospel with those who shared the gospel. I mean, he, he just wanted to see, you know, how the, how the, uh, the, the pyramid scheme was, was going. Everybody with me on this? That, that's a horrible uh, analogy. But he just wanted to see how this thing was growing. 
Christianity is not a pyramid scheme if you're kind of new to the faith. <laughs> it's the first thing that came to my head. All right, there we go. So he goes walking around, and sure enough, he finds a, a group of disciples, and, and they've certainly heard of the Apostle Paul. And so they're like, you know, they're in the presence of, of you know, the greatest Christian leader of the uh, region of, of the time. And, and they're, everybody's so excited to see each other. It's like going to camp. Anybody ever grow up going to camp? Camp, you, if we don't do it as much these days, but when I grew, grew up, you'd always go and spend at least one week at this Christian camp somewhere growing up in Christian churches. And, uh, and you'd meet friends at camp from other towns in your state or whatever. And, and it was amazing. It was like, it was like intensified, microwaved. Uh, friendship building time. You just you're with someone for six days, and all of a sudden they're your best friend for life. Um, this is probably what's happening here. These Christians got to hang out with Paul the Apostle for seven days and became quite fond of him, uh, as they did. Uh, go back. I'm not done. It says, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Let me tell you something about your Bible. Sometimes the Greek language doesn't always. Um, translate as clearly into English as, as it could or does in Greek. Um, th- this phrase right here, this, it's kind of troubling because it says, and through the Spirit, they, these Christians entire, were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So it sounds like, if you just read it fast, that the Spirit told these Christians entire to tell Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, which is completely the reverse of everything that Paul's been saying and hearing and doing and, and reporting to everybody else. God has compelled me by the Spirit. I am Remember, I am bound, he basically said when he was talking to the Ephesians. He says, I got to go. It's like, it's like a headlock. I got to go. Uh, and, and, and so this seems like a complete reversal of what uh, the Holy Spirit has been telling Paul to do. So what does Paul do? Well, we'll find out. Let's read on. When our days there were ended, we departed. <laughs> well, he left. So did the apostle Paul go against a direct order from the Holy Spirit? Well, what we're going to find out as we keep reading this morning uh, in the context, and this is what you got to do when you read your Bibles, keep reading. Read backwards, read forwards. If you don't know what's going on in this particular uh, you know, verse or these, this particular phrase, keep reading because you're going to read things probably that will help you understand how this contradiction can be occurring. What we're going to find out is that probably the, the, the saints entire uh, were informed by the Spirit in their times of prayer and their times with them uh, that Paul's journey to Jerusalem was going to come at a great price, just like Paul had been told by the Spirit all along. He was going to be you know, uh, go through tribulations and trials. And, and these, these, you know, camp Christian friends of Paul were like, hey, we don't want you to go through that. We, we'd love for you to have more time with us, and there's certainly more work you could be, could be doing. We don't want you to go through something that could ultimately be your end. And so they, upon hearing of Paul's uh, oncoming tribulations, said, Paul, why don't you skip out? We love you too much. Don't go to Jerusalem. So what's going to happen next is he uh, stops at another port, uh, the, the Christians are going to hear the prophecy of Paul's, you know, whooping, and they're going to advise him not to go. That's why Paul says, hey, appreciate your concern, but we're going. And that's why it says in the verse that, this verse that they departed. They went on our, uh, we departed and we went on our journey. Luke speaking in the plural, he's with him. And they all, all of these Christians entire with wives and children, they accompanied us until we were outside the city. And we knelt down on the beach and we prayed together. Maybe they were still praying, God, at this last minute, help Paul to see the foolishness of his ways and not go to Jerusalem. Maybe that's what the Christians in Tyre were praying. I don't know. Uh, but they said their farewells to one another. And then uh, Luke and Paul and everybody else who was with the, the group went on board a, a ship there in this city of Tyre, the same one that had brought them there, and they, they turned home to Jerusalem. Now, when they had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at another port, as uh, you're kind of going down the coast of Syria in Israel, there's a port called uh, Ptolemy, which I think was an Egyptian general or something. And uh, we greeted the, the brothers, and we stayed with them uh, for one day. So, so they got to stay one day in Ptolemy, and then the next day they departed, and they came to this, this, this port of ports in, in, in Israel at the time. It's a place called Caesarea. It was named for uh, Caesar. Uh, it was built by King Herod, and I've been there. It, it was, it's magnificent. It's, it's amazing, the the technology that they had at the time, you know, uh, is far less than ours, but they figured out ways to sink deep rocks so they could almost build like a fake harbor. I mean, it was just, it was an impressive thing for the time, and, and this is where their ship was going to put in so they could make the land journey to Jerusalem. And while they were in Caesarea, they entered the house of a guy named Philip. We've heard him before. Anybody heard of Philip? It says Philip was the evangelist. He was one of the seven, and, and Paul and his friends, Luke amongst them, stayed with this guy Philip. 
this is probably where uh, Luke, in writing the book of Acts, got the stories about Philip that he fills in earlier in the, in the, in the book. He, he, he hung out with them. And he got firsthand accounts of how Philip was one of the seven. If you don't know what the seven are, uh, the, the apostles of the early church were very busy uh, servicing and, and ministering to this growing church population in Jerusalem. They had to preach and teach, and train, and, and, and then there was all these material needs from people in the church, and widows who had you know, great uh, uh, resource needs. And so they figured out, we can't do all of this. Let's build another layer of leadership. They created this thing called deacons. Anybody ever heard of a deacon? And uh, deacons were basically the servants of the church, especially in, in regards to the, to the poor and the needy. And so seven were chosen. One of them was a guy named Stephen. Another guy was named Philip. And there was five others. And, and they became the first deacons of the early church. So Philip was one of these seven. Stephen goes on a couple chapters after the, the appointment. And he becomes the first martyr in the church. And then right after Stephen dies, we have this account of Philip the evangelist. Because Philip just kind of hanging out, asking the Holy Spirit what he was supposed to do. And God told him to go down south of Jerusalem and just hang out by a desert road. And then he met this guy from Ethiopia. He was a eunuch, a, a, a higher up in the court of, uh, of the government of Ethiopia. And he was traveling by uh, chariot and a, reading a scroll from Isaiah. And if you know the account, Philip says, hey, do you know what you're reading? And then the eunuch says, how can I know if no one tells me? And so uh, he gets up and uses the book of Isaiah, the scroll of the Old Testament book Isaiah, to share the gospel with this eunuch from Ethiopia. And the eunuch gets saved, and he gets dunked right there by the side of the road. And he heads back, and he's actually attributed with being the one who brought the gospel to Africa. That was, that was Philip. Philip had other great things happen in his life, but this is the guy that Paul and Luke and the rest of them are staying with. It says uh, he had unmarried daughters uh, who prophesied, four of them, four uh, young ladies still living in his house, uh, they were uh, staunch Christians, stout Christians, and, and they were uh, given by the Holy Spirit the ability to prophesy and speak truth on behalf of him. And they also had uh, another guy coming. While we were staying there for many days, a prophet named Agabus. We've heard about him before. He was in chapter 11 of Acts. And he's just come on the scene here in these two different places in the book of Acts to, to bring prophecy. Just like the Old uh, Testament prophets of old, Agabus kind of walked around and said what God wanted him to say. He came down from Judea, and uh, he hung out with them there uh, in Caesarea, and he came to us, and it says he took Paul's belt, and he bound his own feet and hands, and he said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So uh, we think belt, what do we think? We think a piece of leather with a couple clasps on it, and maybe it's too small now, and we're just barely on that last hole, or maybe we've had a good month, and we've actually, get, whatever. But that's what we think of when we think belt, right? But this was not the belt that uh, Agabus was uh, using. It was probably actually the undergarments that, uh, uh, you know, guys at that day, day and age wore. You would, instead of having, you know, jockeys or something like that, you would take uh, strips of long white cloth, and you would just basically start wrapping yourself in the midsection like a mummy, okay? And you just, if you've ever seen, you know, Jesus on the cross, he has kind of that kind of swaddling wrap looking thing. Uh, that's, you like this? This is good, right? <laughs> Having fun with that? That's the belt. And so it was probably drying on a line. You didn't take it off of Paul to use it. It was probably, you know, somewhere in the house. And, uh, and he, and he takes this long piece, and he just starts, he, he, he like hog ties himself. He starts wrapping his hands, he starts wrapping his feet in, in a very um, visible and, uh, um, you know, obvious way. He says, this, this, is how, this is how it's going to be, Paul. You're going to leave Caesarea. You're going to walk, you know, the distance that it is to Jerusalem. When you get there, they're going to hog tie you, and you're going to be the prisoner of the Gentiles, which, you know, is kind of on par with what Paul's been saying all along. I gotta go to Jerusalem, it's not gonna be good. When we heard this, uh, Luke says, Luke and all of those in Caesarea and all those who've been traveling with Paul, I mean, this is it, this is last ditch, this is the, this is the port where we're heading to Jerusalem, it's their last shot to, to dissuade Paul from doing what this is gonna you know, become. And so we heard this, and we and the people there urged him, urged is a really strong word, it's this, you know, it, it goes beyond just please, 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 like, like almost to the point of putting hands on this guy and, and kidnapping him, you know, against his will so that he doesn't face the consequences that the Holy Spirit is, uh, is depicting. We urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to skip over some verses that I'm going to preach here in just a second. But just so you know, after some conversation, the group, uh, a few days later, got ready 
and went up to Jerusalem. Paul kept going. Twice. Twice in this little account here at the beginning of Acts chapter 21, uh, God-fearing, God-loving, and Paul-loving believers came to Paul and begged him not to go. Don't head into the storm, Paul. Don't, don't go where there's going to be suffering, Paul. Stay with us. Great things will come of that. You'll continue your work. More churches will be planted. More people will benefit from your teaching. Don't go somewhere where you'll be taken from us. We can all understand that. We love people dearly. I don't know how many times that conversation has happened in the homes of missionaries who, uh, you know, come to their families and say, hey, we've really sensed God leading us to go to a, uh, some country that ends in Stan and, uh, and then share the gospel, you know, with uh, people who are, you know, predominantly Muslim. It's going to be clandestine. It's going to be risky, but that's what we feel God doing. And, and loving family members and loving church friends come to them and say, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Don't you know what awaits you there? It's been happening since the church happened. But here in this instance, Paul twice says, sorry, I'm going to Jerusalem. What made him do that? Well, I can boil it down to this one simple thing. God's will mattered way more to Paul than the will of those that he knew in his own will himself. He allowed God's voice to be the voice in his life. And he drowned out and just pushed aside everything else that could lead him astray from what God had willed for him. How are we doing at that? Remember as a little kid, I could hear my mom's voice in my neighborhood anywhere I was. Anybody remember that? Back before cell phones and text messages and stuff like that, your mom used to have to come out the front door and yell your name. Now, wherever you were playing in the neighborhood, uh, you know, it could be a radio playing, you know, hockey sticks clacking against the floor or the ground of, of a driveway, uh, kids screaming and yelling. But if I heard, listen, no other kid moved because it wasn't their mom. But when I heard my mom's voice, and when I heard my mom's voice in a certain tone, who's there with me on that? That was like amplified. It was like, oh, what I do? The day's over. And I would just drag my hockey stick back home because I could hear my mom's voice. I grew up, I, I played basketball in high school, and uh, it was really popular up in northern Maine, so hundreds, if not, you know, a thousand people would pack into these gyms for these basketball games. It was loud, loud, loud. And my dad hardly ever came to games, but the couple games that he came to in, in, in my basketball career, I could hear his voice above everybody else's. And it's not that he was loud. It's not that he was louder than everybody else, it's just I, I knew the tone. Uh, unfortunately, uh, in, in, in amongst his cheers, he would, he would yell the, the kid names that he had for me when I was a kid. One of his names for me was Wimpy, so he kept like, I'd be, you know, playing and go, yay, Wimpy, and I'd just be like, seriously. Anyway, uh, <laughs> don't call me Wimpy. <laughs> but I could hear his voice, and it's because we get trained to, to hear the voices of authority in our life. Now, some of us as Christians haven't quite gotten there when it comes to God being the authority of our lives. We've, we've, we've kept listening to the voices of others and to the voice that's inside of us more than his, and, and we've failed in, in, in those regards to, to accomplish his will because we're just not able to hear him. Jesus said this about himself in John chapter 10. He said, I am the good shepherd. Remember that one? We've got churches named for that, right? He says, I'm the good shepherd. I lead my flock. And he goes on in there and he says, listen, the sheep know my voice and they follow me. You know what a, a mark of a true Christian is? Is that they can discern God's will, hear God's voice, and then pursue that. Not, listen, we're all going to mess up. Anybody ever known they were supposed to do something not did it? But, but the, 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 the default setting in a Christian's life is God's voice over mine and over the voice of anybody else in the world. Some of you are wondering, well, how do I, how do I discern God's will? Well, you get to know him through his word. You get to know people who love him, and so when things come that you're kind of wondering, is this God's will, you can talk to godly people and, and be affirmed in what you sense God's leading you to do. You get to, you get to learn how to listen to, to God in prayer and, and, and be available to his spirit 
You know, a lot of times prayer is just this one-way conversation. We give God our shopping list, and then we go. But God wants to speak to us, and, and, and we just learn over time to, to give our, our, our ears and our hearts to God's direction. So that's what this sermon's about. It's about learning from Paul how to do, uh, well, the answer to this first question, how, how do we keep <clears throat> from being led away from God's will? We're going to learn that first, and then if time permits, I'm going to teach you how to discern God's will and some some things on, on that. So let's start here and go to the verses that we skipped there in Acts chapter 21. How do we keep from being led away from God's will? The first thing is that we need to expect and accept the difficult from God. We do lots of preaching uh, about accepting the difficult because let's, let's just kind of get some baseline here. Is life difficult? Yeah. I mean, not, not always. Who's blessed in here? Is everybody here blessed? Just so you know you are. Every hand should be up. You are blessed. No matter how bad things have been, they could have been way worse, all right? And so you, instead of looking glass half empty, should always look at life as glass half full. God has blessed us immensely, richly. Please live that way. But does the needle turn down from time to time? Do things go awry? Yeah. And and just so we're clear on this too, is that all seven point whatever billion of us? Yeah, you got to know, that's just humanity. Here's the deal. You live in a world that is crushed by the presence of sin. Sin has marred everything that God created for good, and it, you're just, it's just going to stink every once in a while. Life's going to be hard everywhere, Christian, non, atheist, uh, you know, other religions, whatever. It's just it's hard, right? But, but there's this crazy theology out there that says, it's called prosperity theology, that if you become a Christian, life ceases to be hard. And in fact, if your life is hard, it's because you lack the faith that's required for God to bless you with what he truly wants to bless you with. What a, what a shackle. What a prison to be living with. And listen, if, if that's how you got signed up to this thing, I don't mean to break your heart, but let's go. I'm going to break your heart. When you signed up to follow Jesus, you didn't sign up for, for free skate. You signed up, listen, following Jesus comes with all kinds of blessings and benefits. We are eternally secured to him. We have heaven to look forward to, amen? We are blessed in in the times of our tribulation uh, to to have our our Holy Spirit, to have God in our presence and to be leading us through stuff. But here's here's what some people think the Christian life is, that uh, Jesus is my Savior and he's my Savior from, period. He's supposed to be my Savior from everything that could be hard or every suffering that I could face. He's, he's supposed to be my, my, the one who plucks me from all of the pain. And that's not the case. He saves us from lots of things. He saves us from our sin. He saves us from an eternity without him. He's, he's a savior from and lots of stuff. But predominantly in this life where sin still rules, you know what he wants to be? Not our savior from. He wants to be our savior in. He doesn't necessarily want to take our hand and walk us around suffering. He wants to take our hand and walk us through suffering. So that first word of this this principle that we're learning, it's it's a hard one for some Christians because they think, I signed up so this would be better. And it got worse. Well, welcome to life. Not just Christian life, life. Expect and then accept. That stuff's just going to be difficult sometime. And then praise God that you have him to save you in those difficulties. This is what Paul says to the Christians there in Caesarea who are imploring him, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't do it, Paul, we're going to lose you. Agabus took your underwear and showed us it's bad. (laughs) Paul answers them and he says, what are you doing? Remember hearing that from your parents when they came into the room? What? What is this? You know why they said it that way? It's because whatever you were doing, you knew full well you weren't supposed to be doing it. These Christians who Paul had discipled and mentored, Luke among them, wrote two books in your Bible. He probably looked right at Luke and said, Luke, seriously? What are you doing? You've been with me the whole way when I've been getting these messages from the Holy Spirit. I've shared everything with you about how we need to go to Jerusalem. And here you are at every port we stop at, joining with all these other Christians who have just met me and, and, and singing the same song, don't go, don't go, don't go. <laughs> what are you doing? He, he, he says, why are you weeping? What's all the tears about? 
I'm in the center of God's will. I'm doing what he's told me to do. You should be rejoicing with me and praying for my strength instead of crying over what God's called me to do. Haven't I taught you to expect and accept the difficult? He says this last part here, and we usually take you know, our English current sayings and we impute them into the scripture. We've got to be careful of that because this is not, you're breaking my heart like Paul's sad or Paul's like, oh, you're breaking, you're dis- I'm disappointed. This, this is actually a phrase that means you're breaking my resolve. My heart is to do what God wants me to. And you, as my fellow Christians, should be the ones who want to support me in following God's will. But you're sitting here, and, and you're my greatest stumbling block. And you're breaking my resolve to do what God has called me to do. Wouldn't it be great if uh, when we became Christians, God issued these? These are noise-canceling headphones. Wouldn't it be awesome if, like, the, the, the first day we became Christians, like, here you go, and you just pop these things on, right? I wear these at my house when things are really crazy, all the kids are home, and I'm trying to finish watching the Red Sox game. You know, I'm, I'm social, but, you know, let me finish my game. That's all. I'm not social, you're right, Bernie. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> but this is what I put on, and it's amazing. Like, right now, even they're not even turned on. The battery's not playing right now, but it feels like I'm underwater. Has anybody been, had these things on? feels like everything else is kind of like... And I love these things because I can, be, I can focus on that game while everybody else is chirping. Wouldn't it be great if God gave us some of these things? We'd look funny. But, it, but it'd be awesome to walk around life. And, and as we're about to enter into that argument with our wife for the umpteenth time, and our voice is telling us, push the button. You know what the button is. Push the button. Give it to her. Make sure you win. Yell louder. Wouldn't it be great if the Holy Spirit just came in and said, hey, dummy, can we not do this again? And it was louder than any other voice, any other voice, her voice as she's yelling at you, your voice as you're telling yourself, here we go again. Wouldn't it be great if we had these? We kind of do. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us all the time. Don't, don't think that he's ever silent. It's just we have to train ourselves in situations where everything else, everybody else, every other voice is saying no. We have to be willing to hear his voice and follow it, regardless of what comes. Paul knew it was going to be hard. In Acts chapter 9, uh, at, at, at his conversion story, he's walking down a road in Damascus. If you don't know about this, his name's Saul. He's a Christian killer. God, Jesus himself comes uh, uh, through a bright light on the road, and he talks to, to, to Saul, and Saul becomes a Christian. He's going to head into Damascus, and he's going to meet a guy named Ananias, uh, who uh, is going to be his first discipler. And this is what uh, the Spirit of the Lord tells Ananias about this guy, Saul. Uh, Ananias was understandably a little bit hesitant, you know, to uh, involve himself with this Christian killer, but uh, God affirmed him and said, this is how it's going to be. Go, for he is chosen. He's an instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and before kings and before the children of Israel. He's going to be the, the proclaimer of my good news. He says, go and listen, I'm going to show him how much he must, what? Suffer for the sake of my name. Hey, that's not a great sales pitch, right? He's basically saying, Ananias, go, teach him everything you know about me, Uh, you know, pour into him, disciple him. He's going to be the leader of the Christian church. And by the way, let him know, he has no idea how much he's going to suffer for doing this. It's almost like God's up there wringing his hands. He's like, (laughs) no. He's not that kind of God. He's an honest God. And he's saying, I've set this guy apart. And listen, his, his past is going to haunt him because all the people who are rah, rah, Saul are going to be, we hate Paul. And, 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 and the Jews are going to hate him. And some Christians are going to hate him. And he's going to get beat up and throw, have rocks thrown at him. He's going to get shipwrecked. He's going to be imprisoned. And it's all going to be because the world does not want to bend the knee to God, and he's going to be God's mouthpiece. But from the get-go, Paul knew that God had called him to a life of suffering. Jesus, when he taught us about following him, was very clear. He, He talked to his disciples all the time about the fact that, hey, I've come so that I might die as a ransom for many. I'm here to die, and his disciples, remember what his disciples were like? No, you're not here to die. Let's not stop this party. 
Remember Peter, you know, in, in one of the instances where, where Jesus was talking about needing to go to Jerusalem, Peter, is, in essence, says, over my dead body, and, and Jesus says to Peter, get thee behind me. Yeah, get out of my way, bro. I'm on a mission. And my mission is to suffer, to die on a cross, to do so because sin comes with a price, and, and I don't want you guys to have to pay the price, so I'll pay it for you, but don't get in my way. Don't get in my way as I'm heading to do what God has called, what the Father has called me to do. I'm, I'm here on a mission, and my mission is to suffer. He was clear about that when he was talking in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. He says this, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. Emphasize easy there. That leads to destruction. Can we all agree it's good? it would have been way easier for Paul to skip out on Jerusalem? No beat down. No imprisonment. That would have been easy. Everybody wanted him to do it. I mean, even his closest ends were like, Paul, why are we doing this? Let's head back to, you know, some of the places that really love us. Why would we go to Jerusalem? Well, the way is, the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction. That leads away from God's will. And those who enter it are, are, are many. Many of us choose the wide path uh, too often, every time we sin, we're going wide road, all right? But what did he say about the way that he prescribed? The gate to life is narrow, and the way is hard for those who find it are few. A lot of times, I'll, I'll quote that verse, you know, narrow gate. Got to go through that narrow gate. It's hard to find. Few find it, but you got to go through that narrow gate. You know what part of the verse, probably my conscience just selectively uh, forgets to quote, the way is hard. And I want to apologize to every Christian in here uh, who was told at the beginning of your Christian life when you made your decision to trust Jesus Christ, if you were told that everything was going to be better and that everything was going to be great, you got fed a little bit of a line there because Jesus wouldn't have told you that. Yeah, come follow me. Find that inner gate or find that narrow gate. Enter it. Let's do this. But you got to understand it's going to be hard. To follow me is to pick up your cross and walk to your death and potential suffering. You have to die to self. That's what it says in Galatians. Paul wrote, we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who lives, but it's Christ who lives in us. We love that whole Christ living in us stuff, but we forget about we've been crucified. It's this life that we're called to. Expect it. Accept it. Let's move on. Secondly, we need to seek to please God alone. I'm going to skip over some stuff up there. We need to seek to please God alone. Find that slide. Perfect. Nice work. Look what Paul says. He says, what are you guys doing? You're breaking my heart. You're breaking my resolve. He says this uh, following that in verse 21. He says, for I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He wrote this in other ways in other places. For me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. I, this is win-win. I'll do whatever God wants. I've paid the price before. He's brought me through difficult things. Whatever he desires is what I desire. He wasn't worried about pleasing other people. And you gotta know that these are some of the closest people in his life. I mean, he spent years pouring into Luke and others like him that were there in that room weeping and crying and begging. And he's like, I love you guys, but you know what? I love God more. And I'd love to be able to serve you guys, but you know what? In this situation, I can't. I think that's kind of been the script for many a goodbye for missionaries to their families. It's been the script for, uh, you know, kids who decided to forego the business college that their parents had always dreamed of them going to, to go to seminary and go to Christian school to become pastors. I had too many of those conversations with families uh, who were more than happy to have their kids go to the youth group that was a part of our church in Dallas. Yeah, keep them safe. Keep them away from the big bad world. But when Jesus got a hold of their hearts and they said, I want to be a missionary, I want to be a pastor, I want to, and they're like, whoa, we live in North Dallas. You're going Ivy. 
You're going somewhere where you can get that degree that you can do this and you can do that. And, do that. and if you, listen, if you get all that stuff done, if you fulfill my will for your life, thus saith the parents, well, then you can get to God and whatever he wants after that. But I'm not paying. I actually had parents. I'm not paying. Christian men and women, I'm not paying for a Christian school. If you want to do what I think is right, you have my money. I, we, we went on several mission trips. One year, I think I've told you this story before. One year, I took, while well, I was a youth pastor in Dallas, I took a bunch of kids, uh, and we decided to go to China. And uh, uh, it was going to be this, you know, really long trip, three weeks long. And uh, <clears throat> right before we were about to go, about a month before we were about to go, it was while there was, uh, you know, uh, some uh, war was going over in the Bosnia area, and, and um, uh, we bombed the Chinese embassy by mistake in Sarajevo. Does anybody remember that story? And uh, so tensions were high between the American and Chinese governments. And uh, people started to question, hey, should we be flying, you know, 25 high school students from Dallas into the heart of China, you know, in this period? So we, we prayed about it. We talked with our government officials that were in the know, and we sensed, like God was saying, it's still safe to go. You could still go. And, uh, and so we decided to go. And it was, it was like, you know, it was back before Facebook and stuff like that. But, but families of kids who were going on this trip just started calling each other. And they said, well, I'm not letting my kid go. And you're a bad parent if you let your kid go. I mean, you make your own choice. But there's no way that I'm going to risk my children on a silly trip for three weeks to a country that we just bombed. And our trip went from 25 kids to like 15, just like that. And we had this big meeting. And in fact, some of these parents of these kids who were uh, not going to go, uh, you know, came in and questioned the wisdom of the authority of our church. Mine, our, our senior pastors who was in on the decisions, like, and, and my senior pastor said this to them, which I still love. He said, listen, ladies and gentlemen, we feel like this is the will of God that we send this team to this country. And we want you to know that we believe theologically that the safest place any of your kids can be is in the center of God's will for their lives. So you decide what you want to do, but we're going with whoever's willing to go. Uh, it was a great trip, by the way. Uh, Eye-opening, amazing, and we all got home safe. But so many people, they, they start listening to their fear. They start listening to the opinions of others. And, and, and they, they fail to seek God and please God alone. That wasn't Paul's MO. It says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, he was writing to his friends there. Galatians is this great letter if you ever get to read it. it he's, it's written as a rebuke. It's not, you know, all the other letters that Paul writes are almost warm and fuzzy. He starts out by saying, I thank my God for you every time I pray. In almost all of his letters, he's saying something nice about the Galatians or the people that he's, you know, uh, writing to, but here in the Galatians book, that stuff's really short, and then he just starts hammering. He, he says, in, in, the, in the first few verses, he says, I can't believe you guys have already just stepped out on, on Jesus. I can't believe you've abandoned the gospel. Read, how stupid are you guys? They had, they had indeed done that. They had left grace and faith, and they had chosen to pursue a, a more Jewish version of Christianity. They, they had incorporated all the Jewish uh, customs and rules, and so it was a grace uh, plus works faith. And Paul was like, that's not what I taught you guys. He says, listen, if I myself or an angel of God comes and teaches you a different gospel, uh, let them be cursed. And let those who are teaching you this false gospel be cursed again. This is not a nice letter. This is, this is, a, uh, this is a, a staunch rebuke. And, and then he says this at the end of that uh, kind of all caps yelling portion of his letter. He says, am I seeking the approval of man or of God? This is, this is one of the arguments that the, the, the Jewish um, infiltrators, these false teachers who had come into Galatia had, had used. They said, you know what? You're supposed to be Jewish. You're supposed to get circumcised. You're supposed to do all the rules. Paul just didn't tell you about that because he wanted you to like him. He was more concerned about being accepted than he was concerned about the gospel. That's, that's a, purportedly what they, they told the Galatians. And Paul said, okay, let me scorch the earth, and then let me ask you, am I now seeking the approval of man or God? If I was trying to be liked by you, would I call you idiots like I just did? He says, am I trying to please man? If I were, listen, and this, he makes this incredible statement. It'd be worth a, 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 a three-by-five card that you, that you tape to the inside of your, your driver dash, okay, your, your car dash. If I were still trying, trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God. He makes, he makes a, a stark comparison there. You can please man or you can be a servant of God. But the two 
often will not combine. And when they don't, as was the case here with Paul in the book of Acts, he could have pleased all his friends and, and foregone Jerusalem, but he says, no, I'm going to please God and choose him above all things. I have conversations with people in our church, you know, years past, they'll talk to me about this, this uh, man or this woman that they're thinking about marrying, and, and, and they'll talk about, you know, how, how should it look? Should we live there? Should we live here? And I'll, I'll ask them what I think is an obvious question. Hey, are they a Christian? And they'll be like, well, yeah, mostly. I mean, they believe in God. And I'll be like, don't worry about where you're living. Worry about whether or not they're equally yoked with you. Worry about whether or not they're, they're, they're Christians because you're not, listen, in case this is a newsflash for people, you're not supposed to, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not supposed to be yoked to someone who isn't. And it's in the word. It's in the book. It's not, this isn't like a hard one. This is one that, you know, Lord, I'm praying about this. It's right there. And yet people just skip over this stuff. Why? Because they fall in love and they listen to their heart over the listening to, you know, what the word of God says. They fall in love and they, they move in with each other because that's what people do in this day and age. But it says in Hebrews 13, 4, keep the marriage bed pure. Don't be involved sexually with someone before you get married to them. That might be a newsflash for some of us. But that's the will of God. But why do so many people do it anyway? Because they're not listening to the will of God let alone obeying the will of God, they're listening to their heart. They're listening to the heart of their partner. This one's going to make sense. We'll save on the bills. We'll do, 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 do. And then off they go. I could, I could keep spinning the wheel. Does everybody get how this is prevalent in our lives and in the lives of Christians in this day and age? It should not be. We should know, like Paul says, that these trials, these difficulties that we face, they're by design, God, God wants to use them. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. It says, for the sake of Christ, Paul speaking here, I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, who's heard this one before? It's interesting. We sing it, when I am weak, then he is strong. Paul makes it personal both ways. When I am weak, then I am strong. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a contradiction. But we understand that he means when I am at my least, when I am wore out, spent, and God comes in and he's my strength, then I am strong. I was at a Red Sox game with my dad as a young boy. He's probably 10 years old, little guy. And uh, uh, Red Sox games back in those days were drunken affairs. Uh, you know, they, they didn't have a cutoff, uh, you know, beer sales in the, in the park. And, uh, and so guys would just tumble out of Fenway Park and go to the train station obliterated drunk, right? And on this particular day, they had handed out souvenir bats, <laughs> right? Little like, uh, you know, uh, two foot long, uh, you know, sticks. And uh, on the way to the train station, a drunk guy bumped into an old, uh, or a, a father of a kid, and, and, and the father of the kid just took this bat to this guy. I mean, it was, it was like, where am I right now? This is, uh, so we got past that fight. Well, you go down, and, and the whole park is trying to empty into this one train station. And sure enough, a bunch of drunk dudes start mouthing off to each other like Boston people will, and they just start swinging these bats. There's a huge fight inside this contained space, right? People are screaming and yelling, and I just still remember this. My dad grabbed me, 10-year-old me, picked me up over his head, and threw me over the turnstile just so I could get out of there. And then he, it's the only time I ever, my dad was a pastor, super straight-laced, okay? It's the only time I'd ever seen him cheat, but to get out of this melee, uh, he threw me over the turnstile, and then he and his friend who were with us at the game, uh, was, they jumped the turnstile. And then he picked me up like a football, and we ran down the stairs to the train landing. And I was like, what just happened? Well, I, in that situation, was inadequate. Was I going to be able to defend myself as a 10-year-old? I was weak. But in that moment, in my weakest moment, my dad, Hulk, he was strong. And he came down and he whisked me out of this trial and, and took me to a place where I could be safe. This is, this is Paul's understanding of the presence of God in his life. Hey, when I'm weak, it's when he's strongest and when my life is best. So expect and accept the difficult. Seek to honor God, hear his voice and follow him alone. Please him alone, and then finally trust him with the results. Trust God with the results. 
Look at what it says in Acts 21. It says, and since we would not be persuaded, uh, Luke reporting this, we ceased. We just stopped trying to convince him. And we just said this phrase, which is the phrase that should be on our lips in any storm that we go through in life. Let the will of the Lord be done. You know, I'm careful to pray that with you guys when you come to me in the corner and you ask me for a prayer for this, you know, sick person or a prayer for this marriage situation or a prayer for this or a prayer for that. I pray what I want. Lord, heal. Lord, provide. Lord, uh, redeem in these situations. Please, God, you told us to ask. I'm asking. I'm knocking. I'm seeking. Bring these things. But then, I always say this, God, I don't understand your will. I don't know what your purposes are. You know why I say that? Because I know sometimes he's not going to answer the prayer for healing. He's not going to answer the prayer for rescue. Things are going to go from bad to worse sometimes. And if that's his will, if that's what he's allowing, if that's what he's going to use to bring about his glory and our best, then I want to be open to that too. But I'll always close with, but don't forget, I'm asking you to heal. I know you have the power to do that. Please do. But die will be done. Sometimes the will of God is, is that we would suffer. But we know from what Paul wrote in the book of Romans that those who love God, everything works together for the good, for those who are called according to his purposes. We know that this is what awaits us, the good of God. It's what enabled Job. Remember Job in the Bible? Job was this guy uh, who God just lauded as, as his greatest follower. And he said, uh, he had a conversation with the devil one day, and, and Satan says, well, let me at him, and, and you'll see how much he praises your name after I've had my way. And, and so God says, okay, go ahead. And, and so the devil just systematically unraveled Job's life. He, he took his children. Uh, he took his, his herds. He took his riches. He took everything. He left his wife, <laughs> and his, his wife, which, which isn't bad, ladies, but he, he spared his wife, and guess what? His wife, understandably, Job's wife gets a bad, uh, a bad rap. Understandably, you've lost your family. You've lost your well-being. I mean, can you imagine the PTSD, the, the, the shock and the, and the trauma of that? It, it, you know, it, it'd be a remarkable person who in that situation wouldn't have been, let's just die too. And that's what she said to Job. Curse God and die. I'm getting out of here. You should too. Remember what Job did? Rends his clothes in mourning. And he says this phrase. He says, basically, naked into the world I came, naked I shall return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. You know what that is? That's Job. It's probably the oldest book in your Bibles. That's Job early on as a follower of God saying, you know what? God's will. He gives. He takes away. It's his to do so with. I trust him. And then he said that phrase, it's our song, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He said that in the wake of losing everything. And listen, we, we cheat, we read ahead in Job, and we find out that he gets everybody back in the last chapter and everything went, eh. Job didn't know that. Job had that moment, that experience, with no hopes of it changing. And he still said, I trust you, God. You give, you take away, but blessed be your name. Can we say that today? Is that our desire? I pray so. In just a, a short second, let me answer this one more question and I'll let you go. How do I know if something is, is God's will? Three things, okay? First one's God's word. We tell you all the time to be in life groups so that you can study the Bible, all the time to be in, in whatever situation to where you can study. The reason we do that is because the Bible is... God's word written down. It's him saying what he hopes and expects. There's two, let me just put it this way. There's two different kinds or two branches of God's will. There's the general will of God, which is for everybody, and then there's the specific will of God, which is just for you, Cohen. It's just for you. It's just for your life, okay? Now, the specific will of God, that's, that's where we start just sensing him in prayer and being led by him and, and all those things. But the general will of God's for everybody, not living with your spouse before you're married, that's, that's for you and everybody. And you know where you learn those things? From the word of God. 
We can't treat the word of God like, uh, you know, like pop songs from the 80s. Can anybody here sing like the first two words of like every pop song from the 80s? If you're from my era, a song will come on the radio and I'll be like, na, 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 na. But then, you know, that's, <laughs> I'll sing the words, Jesse is a friend. Okay. But then I'll forget the, the, the next parts of the song and it'll be like watermelon, 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 right? And that's how a lot of people are with the Bible. They create their own versions. Mine's the MSV, Mark's standard version, right? We create our versions of what we think is in the Bible and we let it be our, our determiner of how we live out God's will because we're the, we're, we're the, we're the interpreters, we're the, the scripture bearers. No, you gotta know what God's word says. That's why you gotta come to church on a consistent basis. That's why you gotta be in life groups so that you can know God's word to be able to discern as God's will. You gotta know God's people. I tell you all the time to get in life groups, to be in relationships with other Christians. Why? Because when it comes to discerning the specific will of God in your life, his word will do uh, as much of, of the work for you as possible, but then you need to be known by people and you need to know and trust people so that when you come up to this new job or when you come to this new relationship with someone who could potentially be your mate, you could say, hey, listen, I need your help. Help me discern what God's will is for my life. And you have people that you can trust, and people you can listen to. But then the most important thing, and that's what Paul's been talking about today, is that you need God's word, God's people, that was there, and then God's spirit. And that's, that's that just being able to learn and discern as, as, as you're going along. Because listen, God's people in this story that we were talking about today in Paul, God's people were telling him to go against God's spirit. And there may be times where you've gone to God's word and you don't find anything that you know, God is saying not to do to contradict what you're sensing you, you might should do. And then you go to God's people and they say, well, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. But then you go to God <laughs> And you pray to God and you say, God, is this what you want me to do? And even though God's word lines up and even though God's people say yes, you know that you know that you know this is not what God has for you, not what God has for your family. And so you choose to do it or choose not to do it, even though everything else was pointing to a go. Oh, that we could all know and follow the Spirit, that we could all have friends who know and follow the Spirit so we can talk to them about the, the will of God for our lives, so that we could all know God's word so that when his general will is in play, we could choose it every time. That's my hope for us as a church. Know, discern, follow, and persist in God's will, even if it leads you into suffering. Hear his voice, follow his voice, be led by him. Let's pray for that today. God, thanks so much for teaching us through the life of Paul what it is to, to, to know uh, what you're saying and, and to follow it. And Lord, we uh, desperately want to uh, be in step with you. We know it's the best life we can live. It's, it's the life that, that you've designed for us in a broken world. Uh, so help us, God, not to be swayed by our own voice, by the voices of others, uh, by the pressures of the world. Uh, give us, God, a, a clear path and a clear picture of your desired future. And lead us in it, God, so that we can give you the glory you deserve through our lives. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.